Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that our um, loaves and fishes this morning of simply being in your presence would be enough for you to do a miracle. We pray that you would open your word through your Holy Spirit and work change in us that has eternal and beautiful consequences. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated and turn to James 5. James chapter 5. We're looking at sacramental confession today in our series, Growing Up Sacramental. Ten years ago, when Laura and I and our kids lived in Washington, D.C., we got some really bad mosquito bites near our ankles. This wasn't unusual. It's a more humid climate there, more mosquitoes per capita. Um, But these bites seemed larger and more irritating than normal. We didn't know if it was a bite or a welt. Not long after that, Laura found a very small apple seed-shaped beetle in our house, and she put it in a jar, and she showed the jar to me, and she said, Aaron, what do you think this is? We did some research, and the research raised our blood pressure because the beetle in the jar wasn't just some little bug. It was a bed bug, and the bites on our ankles weren't from a mosquito. They were bed bug bites. We couldn't ignore this problem. We were alerted to other signs of an infestation. We looked, we found more evidence, and the collective testimony from the online reviews and from our friends was, you have a real problem that you cannot solve on your own. Most of the problem was hidden at first, and for a while we could just dismiss the signs and go, eh, no big deal. Um, But unless we dealt with it, it was going to impact us physically, and emotionally, and we couldn't solve the problem on our own. Now, we run into situations like this all the time in this life. Something's not right. There's like there's signs that something's not right, and the home remedies aren't going to work anymore. Something's not right emotionally. Uh, we don't know why, but things are off. Or what about physically? Something's ailing us physically. We've got mysterious symptoms. Um, We don't have a good medical diagnosis for why we have those symptoms. Or something's just off. Something's just not right in a relationship. We find ourselves at odds with someone that we love. Um, It could be spiritually. We just can't pray. We've never prayed or, or we can't pray anymore. What do we do when we've got like that little bug in the jar? Like, what is this? What is this? What's what's going on? And this morning is an opportunity for us to do a little bit of research about that bug in the jar of something that's off. And um, James is a good person for that research. James is the the author of the text this morning from the New Testament, the author of Scripture. He was, in his day, a pastor, a spiritual leader, and he was the biological half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was part of Jesus's ministry. He he watched Jesus change people's lives physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He, he, He watched Jesus heal people. And then after Jesus died on the cross, rose to life, and sent his spirit to the church, he saw Jesus Christ continue to heal people physically and spiritually, but this time through the local church. Sacramentally, the, the, the presence of Jesus and the healing of Jesus went out. He saw people 
confess their sins, receive the forgiveness of Jesus, and experience that healing touch, the healing touch, body and soul. And he's going to encourage us to extend this in our own day. So James is going to encourage us toward uh, finding solutions of the little bug in the jar in three ways. First, to see our lives holistically, body and soul, being intertwined. Secondly, to confess our sins honestly. And then finally, to consider the high stakes of both. See our lives holistically, confess our sins honestly, and then see the high stakes, consider the high stakes of both. Let's look at our lives, how holistically intertwined they are. James 5.13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him or her pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. So James is going to list three conditions that should propel people to draw near to Jesus. Two are difficult conditions and one is a pleasant one. The first one is suffering or injury, you could translate. Is someone injured or suffering? Well, let them pray. Secondly, is anyone cheerful? Well, let them sing praise. What about sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. In other words, the spiritual mothers and fathers of the church who have been trusted with a ministry of hearing confession and praying for forgiveness over people will go to them, call them up, confess your sins, and um, let them anoint oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, each of these responses that James gives is going to challenge our modern Western uh, habits of addressing issues in our life. What do we do when we're suffering? Well, we do what Laura and I did when we discovered a bed bug, which is that we Googled the symptoms. We Googled the situation to come up with a technique for solving the problem. Um, if we're cheerful, we tend to reach out to other happy people who can celebrate with us. And then finally, if we're sick, we call the medical professionals, which is good. All of these, in fact, are good responses. Consider, though, that our modern Western way is to isolate and divide up different parts of our life. We could call it divide and conquer. Issues with the physical body, you deal with physically. Issues with the social order, you deal with structurally. Issues with our inner life, you deal with spiritually or with therapy. Divide and conquer, and sometimes that can be helpful. Yet James is less willing to divide people into parts, to chop them up into different problems. He's going to challenge us to go a little further than that, to bring both the highs and the lows of our life into the presence of God, both the physical and the spiritual. Bring, the, bring highs and lows physical, spiritual, emotional, bring all of that into the presence of God and his church. Don't divide and conquer, he says. Unite and heal. Why? Because he knows, James knows, that we are inseparable, body and soul, physical and spiritual, individuals and part of a larger whole. A few years ago, I had a lower back injury. And I was explaining it to someone with a background in physical therapy. I'm like, yeah, I think my lower back injury is connected up to up here and stuff. And he's like, Aaron, 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 it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. And when we read the Gospels, like that's how Jesus saw it. 
It's all connected. You know, you might come to Jesus with an ailment or, or a question, but it's all connected. Physical, systemic, social, emotional. Um, James also sees it that way. It's all connected, physical and spiritual. Um, so the next verse is going to really challenge us in what we believe is possible. Like, how connected do we really believe the human person is? Um, it might even offend some of your sensibilities about how best to care for a suffering person. I just want to encourage you to keep an open mind uh, as we listen to James, who did know the human condition well and was a compassionate man, as was his Lord and half-brother, Jesus, as he describes what happens when we bring our suffering to Jesus and his church. Let's look at this verse together. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Let's let that stand there for what it is. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up or her up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. What's James doing here? He's describing what often happens when a sick person asks for prayer and anointing from the elders of the church. Sins are confessed, and forgiveness is granted them, so there's a spiritual healing there. A prayer of faith from these spiritual leaders, these mothers and fathers in the faith, saves the sick or weak person in that they are rescued from a threat or a danger. That's what saving means, rescuing from a danger that's threatening your life. The presence of the Lord Jesus himself is manifested and raises them up. So there's a spiritual healing and there's a physical healing that can happen. We see someone lying down in weakness. They're lying down maybe because they're weighed down spiritually and they're weighed down physically. And the Lord Jesus himself uh, does work in that person and raises them up so that they are made whole again. What is James not saying? James is not saying all sickness is caused by sin. He's also not saying God heals people 100% of the time if they have enough faith. If you don't have enough faith, you're not going to get a healing and it's your fault. He's not saying that. Messages like that bring pressure and pain to people who are already suffering. So we shouldn't repeat those messages or read them into James, even if a spiritual leader used them at one point. Jesus doesn't bring pressure wherever he goes. He brings grace wherever he goes, surprising grace. He knows how to raise people up. He knows how sin and sickness might get all tangled and connected inside of us. And we just come to him as we are. We bring him the tangle of yarn and say, take it away, Lord. Consider the man who came to Jesus absolutely paralyzed. In fact, his friends had to lower him through the roof. There's a story in the biography of Jesus where it describes, yeah, a man can't walk and he can't get to Jesus because there's just a mob of people listening to Jesus' teaching. So his friends cut a hole in the roof, lower him down, and Jesus does two things. The first thing that he did is that he forgave the man's sins. Hey, your sins are forgiven. The second thing that he did is he told him to pick up his mat and walk, which he was not able to do before. And the man went away rejoicing. He was happy. He was healed physically, body, and soul. Consider a different case. 
What about the man who was crucified next to Jesus? He was being crucified next to Jesus. He was broken and dying and complicated in every way, physically and spiritually and legally. This man was all but dead. All he could say to Jesus was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all that he could do. That was his faith. <laughs> you know, that was his coming to Jesus. And the healing Jesus gave him was a welcome into paradise. He didn't stop him from dying physically. He died on the cross just like Jesus did. But Jesus did raise him up spiritually. And every time Jesus raises someone up spiritually, it comes with a physical healing too, just eventually in the new creation. This man who died next to Jesus will be raised along with anyone else who's baptized and saved in the last day, and he will feast on physical food at the banquet of the Lamb. So, Jesus Christ knows how to heal people holistically. He treats people holistically, body and soul. And that's what James commends to us. The gospel impacts us physically and spiritually and systemically in every way. Um, and recent medical and psychological research only confirms this. Peer-reviewed studies from 25 years to the present consistently show a direct link, for instance, between forgiveness and improved physical and psychological wholeness. Uh, one leading uh, research university, Johns Hopkins, summarized it like this. Studies have shown that the act of forgiveness can reach can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improved cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. That's from forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness, both giving it and receiving it as an act of grace from God, is foundational for our healing. One pastor who has extensive research in healing ministry summarized uh, or tells this story, and this is not a story about someone that you know or that I know. He says, I remember being asked by a woman to pray for an inner healing. When we talked about her childhood, she indicated that her deepest problem, an unreasoning hatred of men, um, including her husband, went back to the harsh treatment and derision that her brothers had heaped upon her as a little girl. Before praying for inner healing, I asked her to forgive her brothers. This she refused to do. I told her that this would block any healing. Still, she refused. When I asked her why she hung on, her, hung on to her resentment, even though she, uh, even though she was um, uh, beyond that, and she replied that if she forgave her brothers, it would take away her last excuse for being the harsh kind of person she was and could no longer blame them. After praying a short time, she realized how contrary this was to her Christian commitment and to her professed desire to be whole. With tears, she forgave her brothers as best she could. Then she received the deep healing she was seeking. To sum it all up, the more I pray with people for healing, the more I discover the close inner relationship between all forms of healing. How about you? If healing is interrelated, 
How do you need healing? If you are a connected whole, body and soul, how do you need to be set right? Forgiveness is really foundational to this. Are you carrying resentments toward a family member this morning? Towards a teacher or a leader or an old friend or someone you dated or married or loved or trusted? Sometimes people feel like their resentment is the only thing they have to show for their relationship. It's the only power they have left in that relationship. Are there any family members or friends who alienated you this last year? Has politics divided you? Has COVID divided you? Has racial unrest divided you from people that you once loved? They may have truly sinned and misstepped. They have, may have not handled themselves well in relationship to you and to other people, and they may have claimed Jesus in the process. I'm not defending what they did or said, but I'm asking you, are you carrying an offense in your body towards them or in your soul towards them? Are you carrying guilt or shame for something that you've done, someone that you've hurt? Do you need to be forgiven for something in the last year? Have you sought glory and praise from your peers and loved it too much more than the glory that comes from God and the commendation that comes from God? Or maybe you're just physically suffering and you need prayer. Seeing our lives holistically, like James saw it, like Jesus saw it, like the church historic has seen it. Seeing our lives uh, holistically means that we step forward and seek healing for body and soul, however Jesus knows we need to receive it. However he knows we need to receive it. Um, so we just see our lives holistically. That's a real foundational thing James wants us to know and live in. And that gives way to the second call, which is to confess our sins honestly. We see our lives holistically, and then we confess our sins honestly. James is going to commend to us the sacramental rite of confession, and he describes this in verse 16. Look with me at verse 16. Therefore, based on all of this teaching work on body and soul, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James is urging us to seek healing by verbally confessing our sins to others in the church. Verbally confessing our sins to other people in the church. Now, James is going to, in this verse, he's actually talking to two different groups of people. He's talking to sick people. Physically sick people, spiritually sick people, or both. He's asking them to confess their sins and ask for healing. To the sick, he says, come to Jesus through his ambassadors in the church. The second group of people he's talking to is the spiritual mothers and fathers of the church. And he's asking them to extend the ministry of Jesus, to hear the confession, praying for healing and forgiveness over the person who's confessing. And to use anointing oil when possible. To the spiritual mothers and fathers, James is urging us, hey, bring the people to Jesus that are coming for confession. Notice that the person confessing their sins are the ones that take, are taking the initiative. He's confess your sins to one another. It's the person confessing their sins that's taking initiative. 
and doing the work, um, they're asking the elders or the spiritual mothers and fathers to pray for them and to hear their confession. And they're naming their sins as concrete acts of things left undone or things done. Just as you would with a doctor, you drill down into specific symptoms. Here's actually what's happening. Let's get out of the generalities. Generalities don't help anybody. Um, Make a confession is not self-help. I want to be a better person. Nor is it, um, I really struggle with sin. Like using euphemisms like, I struggle with X, I'm wrestling with X. That's vague language. We got to get specific. What are the things done or left undone that require the blood of Jesus to cover your life? Specific commandments we have broken. Specific ways that we have hurt other people. Specific antidotes that linger in your memory. The Book of Common Prayer has a rite of healing. It's under the right, there's like several different liturgies for healing in the Book of Common Prayer. And one of them is the rite of confession. And uh, it's called the reconciliation of a penitent. The reconciliation of a penitent. And the penitent, when you're the penitent, means you're, you're penitential, you're, you're making amends, you're, you're confessing your sins. And there's a liturgical act that you participate in. Here's the prayer, or here's the confession. I confess to Almighty God, to his church, and to you that I have sinned by my own fault in thought, word, and deed, in things done and left undone, especially blank. And that blank is the hardest part, but the most important part of the whole liturgy. That's where you're really doing the work, is naming what you've done or left undone to a spiritual mother or father, also a sinner, but you're, you're filling in that blank, and it's the more honest we are with that blank, and it's the more specific we are with that blank, that's opens us up more and more to the healing power of Jesus. The praying person hearing the confession is present with them, but they can't fill in the blank for you or for me. 17 years ago, I went for the first time to an Anglican priest to confess my sins. I grew up with an understanding that confessing to a priest or to a representative was works righteousness. And I was tempted just in my flesh to hide my sins and to, like with the bed bugs, like maybe I can just handle this on my own and be less costly. Yet I just knew that I needed to do it. The Lord was calling me, and so I stepped forward and I made an appointment. And I made an um, appointment with uh, one of the uh, priests um, who was bivocational at our church. When we met, he put a stole on, and he prayed for me, and he placed a book of common prayer in my hands, and he led me through the reconciliation of a penitent for the first time. I walked in with great fear, but I was surprised how grace pervaded the whole time of confession. And I leaped and skipped out of that room. I felt so free. I felt so healed. I was surprised by the relief of it all, especially when I heard him say, the Lord has put away all your sins. And um, in the years since, 
Becoming an Anglican priest myself, I've seen plenty of other people nearly skip out of the confessional, not skipping it entirely, but almost in a bodily way because they feel so light and so free. They're almost floating out of that time. It reminds me that the Lord raises people up all the time and in all kinds of ways. He raises us up. That's his heart. Here at Emmanuel, we do commission other people to help hear confession. Lay ministers that we often refer to as spiritual mothers and fathers, these are people with the maturity and the bearing to hear confession and pray for people. I appreciate that James addresses the elders and leaders who are hearing the confession because it's easy, if you're hearing confession, to, be, to feel weighed down by what you're hearing again and again and to be discouraged by people's choices. Sometimes what you hear is going to impact you and it's gonna, you're going to need prayer as a result. And you might also be filled with self-doubt, like, hey, what good could my prayers do? I mean, am I really doing anything here? Um, the enemy, especially, is going to start targeting you and accusing you like you have no right to hear people's confessions, given, given everything you've done. And so here's James's encouragement to all who are in the work of healing. Verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now look, Elijah was a man with weaknesses and insecurities just like me and you. He won spiritual battles in public, and then he fell apart in private all the time. And yet when he prayed according to God's purposes, God listened. He prayed for a drought, and the drought came. He prayed for rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In both instances, this is important, in both instances, the drought and the rain were aimed at the human heart for repentance. The drought um, and the end of the drought were means to, it, to an end, which is the turning back of wayward hearts to the true God who could truly forgive sins. The stakes were really high then for Elijah, for Israel, and they're high now too. So we're going to see our lives holistically. We're going to confess our sins honestly. Um, but before we end, it's just important to consider the high stakes of both. Whether we're confessing or hearing confession, notice how James ends his exhortation. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wandering will save their soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Listen, it's one thing to end a drought. It's quite another thing to bring a soul back from the brink of death. It's almost as if James can see a sheep alone injured, scattered. They've wandered really far from the good shepherd. The sheep is like hobbling along like inches, inches from the cliff, having no idea the danger that's just over the side of that cliff. One false move, one encounter with a wolf, and they're lost forever. And it's only a matter of time before this isolated, wandering, injured sheep that thinks it knows where it's going 
dies a spiritual death that is unrecoverable unless someone finds them first. Unless someone like Elijah or Esther goes hunting for that sheep, calls back, hey, the good shepherd's been looking for you. Hey, he knows about that injured foot. He knows about that gash. He knows about how hungry you are. He loves you. We've been praying for you. Come on back. There's not shame and judgment for you. There's only healing. Come on back to the good shepherd. Have your trauma healed. It's time for forgiveness of sins. Now, will the wandering sheep run away or, or, or hobble back to the representative of the good shepherd? The stakes are so high either way, really high. Eternity hangs in the balance. If they're brought back, James says, they're saved. They're healed. The love of Christ covers them and prevents a multitude of sins and covers a multitude of sins. I want to say to our leaders, um, thank you. Thank you for opening up your life to conversations like this. Thank you for opening up your heart to the people that the Lord has entrusted to us, not just now, but over the last eight years where we've been doing ministry. Um, after our bedbugs discovery, we asked around to see how our friends handled their bedbugs experience. One friend um, had already tried something, which was to make a home remedy solution of bedbug spray. And that was to save money. And his experience was that this only made the bedbugs spread that they only found new places to populate and exist in your house. And, and my friend and his wife were like, don't do that. Don't try that. Save yourself the hassle. Save yourself the heartache. Go big. Use the nuclear option. And the nuclear option was the heat method. The heat method. Some of you may have used this. The heat method is when a team of professionals brings these large heaters into your house. You got to take all the plastic things away, all the IKEA frames and all the little medicine bottles and everything that could melt, put it in bags, get the bags out of the house because it's going to get hot in your house and the heaters will raise the temperature of your house to a, to a temperature that bedbugs can't survive. They die wherever they are. It cooks them in place. And so our friend said, use the heat method and don't delay. Book your appointment. And we did. We tried it. And sure enough, the heat, me heat method killed all of the bed bugs, whether in the corners of the mattresses or in places we didn't even know about, like the bottom of the, of like the laundry pile. There were little baby bed bugs that needed to die. I'm so glad that we didn't delay and that we didn't try to use our own homemade methods. We needed to go big and we needed to go now. The sacramental rite of confession is that heat method. It's available to you here. And my encouragement to you is that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose from the dead on your behalf to cover a multitude of sins, to raise you up physically and spiritually. And however way he plans on doing that, and that 
the way through forgiveness is confession of sin. Don't run from it, run to it. It's help from the outside. It's the warm grace of Jesus flowing through his church, flowing through real people who actually love you. It's hot enough to consume sin, yet it's gentle enough to restore your soul back into the community and to the life of Christ's church. And this afternoon, we're going to have a team of people ready to pray with you for confession. If the Lord's working on you now to make confession, we'll have people right after the service available, as well as this afternoon um, via phone or Zoom. And leading up to Easter, we'll have other times of confession available as well. Let's end with a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer for all who confess their sins. O most loving Father, by your mercy you put away the sins of those who truly repent and remember their sins no more. Restore and renew in your servants whatever has been corrupted by the fraud and malice of the devil and by their own selfish will and weakness. Preserve and protect them with the fellowship of the church. Hear their prayers and relieve their pain. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.